Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my ever-smashing Frosty the Snowman today co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing fine. Um, haven't seen this much snow here in a long time. What the heck? I feel like I'm in Maine. <laughs> Maybe the accumulation of all these years is like the most snow you've seen now, like in one short time in Seattle. It's kind of funny. <laughs> but want to remind everybody, of course, that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books and Suspense Magazine. So visit kensingtonbooks.com and suspensemagazine.com for more information. Jeff, we've got a very exciting show today coming up. Um, we are going to be speaking with none other than best-selling author Lisa Gardner, talking about her latest book, When You See Me. It's the next in the Detective Dee Dee Warren series. Um, it's going to be coming out January 28, 2020, so we're very excited about that. It's a great book, so everybody should go read it after we are done talking. Exactly, exactly. Well, without any further ado, let's just jump right in here, and let's welcome Lisa to the show. So, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? <laughs> great. Thank you so much, Jeff and John. I always love talking to both of you. <laughs> well, thank you. We always appreciate it when you can come on at least once a year. Well, I was going to say, it's a nice note, at least someone likes to talk to us, so that's good. <laughs> dynamic duo here. You're the best readers I know. I know. <laughs> we do our best. I'll tell you, we do do our best. Um, so, again, like I said, so When You See Me is the latest Dee Dee Warren. Uh, of course, you also have uh, FBI agent Kimberly Quincy in this one, along with Vigil Auntie Flora Dane. Uh, so you got a lot going on here in, in this book. Give us a little bit about what you got going on. So... For When You See Me, I was trying to figure out which of my characters I should write about, and I decided, why choose? Let's just put them all in a book and see what happens. So three alpha kick-ass females and one really big problem. We start in the mountains of Georgia, where skeletal remains have been found that are identified as probably being a victim of an old serial killer, but are they? A task force is assembled, and very quickly they realize nothing is as it seems. They have an entire FBI task force that may soon pay the price. Well, I, I have to ask, because you did bring all the characters back, which is awesome, and I love them all. Um, I want to dive into Flora Dane a little bit. Um, did you actually see Flora Dane becoming a regular character for you when you brought her in that first book? No. Oh, so I'm one of those authors, I'll be the first to admit, my entire career is kind of an accident. <laughs> I, I don't really plot, plot beyond chapter one, let alone book one. So, yeah, Dee Dee was never going to be a series. Kimberly from The Profilers was never going to be a series. And Flora Dane was because I wanted to explore the trauma that happens with a long-term kidnapping survivor. But then... I don't know. Characters grow on me. They kind of become my children, and I don't want to let them go. <laughs> so, and it's fun to watch them grow. I will tell you, hands down, this is my absolute favorite Flora Dane book, and I won't ruin it for anyone, but there's one scene in the novel that's one of my favorite scenes I've ever written in 30 years of suspense. Wow. And I think I know which one it is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and now readers, you too must figure this out, but I think you'll get it. I think long-term fans will definitely get it. <laughs> well, when we're recording this, you only, they only got 14 days to go, so um, hopefully right. they can wait on the edge of their seat here for this one. <laughs> you know, and, and, and Jeff mentioned, the, the one thing, and then you mentioned too, of course, that you, know, you love to explore different aspects of, I guess you want to say, people's trauma, people's 
you know, struggles and things of those natures. Uh, you know, you did it and find her. Uh, you know, you did it and look for me and, and books like that. So now, what was the one thing that you really wanted to try to explore in the newest one, When You See Me? So When You See Me also features, like most of my books, a brand new character. And we don't even know her name. She's simply called Girl. And she brings together a whole series of experiences. We know from the very beginning due to a gunshot wound. She's young. She can't talk. She can't read. She can't write. But she desperately needs to get help. And she's determined to try to find some way to escape this predicament. And I see her as a voice of so many victims. Having that determination, but not necessarily a voice and how do you get to a better life. And for when you see me, I learned a lot about human trafficking, which is such a sad, sad thing. And actually for the book tour that's about to come out and will launch January 27th, most of the events are partnering with a local charity that does social work or provides services for human trafficking victims in those towns. I thought it's just a great way to not like call attention to this, but to try to give something back because unfortunately a lot of things and when you see me and some of these experiences from Flora to girl are all based on real life. Unfortunately, you're right. Um, and I will say for the record, if you don't follow up in the next book with stuff you leave hanging in this one, I'm going to come find you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, point taken, yes, point taken. You know what? No, 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 there you go. There you go, 2021, the next book, Come Find Me. (laughs) There you go. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have to ask, since you deal with such, you know, disturbing subjects in your books, how do you dive into such deep psychological depravity, uh, you know, and come out personally unscathed by this? Oh, it's so cute that you think I'm unscathed. <laughs> you know me too. <laughs> um, I do a lot of research, and as a thriller novelist, one of the things I'm really drawn to is psychology. Um, you know, what makes criminals? What makes people good and bad? But also, I'm really drawn to survivors and this whole premise that you don't want to just survive, you want to thrive. That has been Flora Dane's mission. And with that point of view in mind, you can read about darker stories and you can dive a little deeper into some of the sadder crimes we have because there is another side to all of this. And human beings are so incredibly strong. And I've gotten to do some work in the past few years with some survivor groups. And it just, and I get email messages, it just, never fails to amaze me what real people have gone through and come back from and really found themselves and are stronger than ever. And that kind of positive note makes a big difference, I think, at the end of the day. I mean, would you hear a story from a survivor and sit back and then at the end you go, I couldn't even write that fiction-wise if I was given the chance? Oh, I I certainly have sat through that plenty of times. Um, I mean, I think all of us can agree the evil things people do to one another are beyond imagination. But there's other things, too. Um, Just yesterday, I got an email from someone who is a um, domestic violence survivor. 
she had been reading Find Her, and it moved her so much. She was like, I finally felt understood as a victim. I think it's time for me to tell my story and to start really moving ahead in my life. And that was just amazing to me that someone could read something. And, you know, I mean, for the record, a lot of the voice I'm giving to victims comes from people talking to me, so people who've been there. But to know that it could have that kind of impact on someone, you know, all the days I beat my head against the computer screen make a lot more sense now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's wonderful. When you when when you decided that you you know you were going to get into this and you were going to put all three of these women in here, um, but then you kind of had to sit there and say, all right, now I needed a villain, now I needed to get that you know antagonist. What was kind of this personality traits or the things that you kind of really wanted to get across this time in this one, or do you even really think about that and you, and just kind of let the character kind of evolve itself as he goes or as or as she goes? <laughs> So, John, we're back to that. I don't plan ahead problem I have. I know, but you, there's always some planning in the head that you want to get something. You know, my process is very much to come up with a kind of crime. In this case, with When You See Me, I was also interested in all of the work we're now seeing now in cold case crimes and identification of skeletal remains. I mean, it's like it's a whole new frontier out there. And so that's kind of what started with When You See Me. And then you kind of learned, okay, these are the investigative steps and the forensics that would be done. I got to play with the body farm. Who doesn't love that? Learn about mass graves. All good. And so that gives me a foundation But I don't actually rarely know what's going to happen next. And I try never to know the villain. Because I feel like if I know, I'll broadcast it to you, the reader. Whereas this way, which really does torture me, and it's why I have so much gray hair, um, we all get to discover together. (laughs) And hopefully that is before my book deadline. (laughs) But I like to go down to the wire with them sometimes. Well, you mentioned this, and uh, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about it. Um, you wrote this amazing article about the body farm for the New York Times. Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, so forensics is one of my favorite things, or real-world investigative techniques are one of the things I love best about being a suspense novelist. Um, I, I joke, you know, our job is to put together over-the-top crimes and then try to use as much real-world technology as possible to solve them. So I'm always reaching out and sometimes it's just plain cold calling anything from detectives to um, gun experts to fingerprints to whatever and for a book I did years ago love you more I wanted to know exactly how to identify skeletal remains so I spent time at the body farm it was really amazing it was frightening I mean I'll be the first to say I'm really an everyday person who's most comfortable sitting behind a desk. So to walk an acre of human remains was um, definitely daunting and challenging. And you had that real sense of hollowed ground. I mean, such a deep respect for people for volunteering their bodies to help advance science. So when I went to write When You See Me, I got interested, and see, this is where I start sounding demented again, in math grade. went back to the body farm, and it really was, and this is what I think I hope readers will enjoy too, it was nothing like I expected. I mean, I got to look at pictures and slides, and 
it was not what I expected at all, nothing like what I'd ever visualized in my head. And really, the work done by forensic anthropologists is amazing. And that's the days it's really fun to be a writer. <laughs> oh, and it, it definitely showed in the article. It was a great article. Um, so thanks for doing that. Um, oh, thank you, Jeff. Um, so I have to ask, um, back to character for a moment, I'm wondering, is Dee Dee Warren a harder character to write now that she's married and has a kid? You know, it's interesting. I think she in many ways is. When we first met Dee Dee Warren, when I never thought she'd be in a series, she was one note. She was a workaholic detective known for wearing her leather jacket and a little bit of taunting T-shirts. I think the first scene, she's wearing something that says scandalous on it. You know, she's all attitude. But if you're going to keep bringing a character back, I think they have to grow. Otherwise, it's kind of silted for the reader. And so eventually she does fall in love. She does have a kid. And she'll be the first to tell you now she has a dog who eats her leather boots. And she's kind of gotten domesticated despite herself. And it gives her more complexity, and I think you see it in her relationship with Flora. There's starting to be more of almost a maternal note to Dee Dee, and there's some really neat aspects of when you more, uh, when you see me, where you can tell Dee Dee's no longer just a detective, she's working as a mom. And that's new. And I mean, thank God I'm a working mom that helped with those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Now, in a world today where, where there's so much noise that's going on and there's so many things that are, you know, being thrown at you every day, you know, whether it's the news or whether it's whatever, how do you kind of not let that affect, you know, your writing and, and, and getting into, you know, and creeping into your books and things like that? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure that you can. I mean, I've been writing for 30 years now. I mean, things have changed dramatically. When you just said that, when you just said that, 30 years, did you just go, oh, my God, it's been 30 years? <laughs> no, it came up earlier this week, and then I said, oh, my God, it's been what? Oh, there, okay. you go. Okay. You did have your OMG moment that I was going to say. <laughs> well, well, think about it. So when I first started writing, we had no cell phones, no Internet. There's no Google nope. stalking. No. Nope. Um, we didn't have DNA. Well, DNA testing, I guess, technically existed but wasn't really being used yet. I mean, that was you know, the creme de la creme of some weird new technology. I mean... OJ was probably the first first one that actually tried to use it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm writing books that are supposed to be contemporary. I mean, they have to adapt with those times. Um, you know, I've been writing a lot of books now, or when you see me, when you have unidentified remains. I mean, one of the things they're having to take into account is when they think this girl first went missing was before there were social media sites. They're like, you know, no one ever got any traction on this case because you didn't have the whole explosion of evidence we all leave behind every day now, whether it's logging into social media or talking to Alexa or ordering food because our refrigerator told us to. I mean, <laughs> world really has changed and it's creating huge opportunities for criminals and it's creating huge opportunities for investigators and you know my job is to bring both of those into play well it's amazing you've written for 30 years and you haven't aged a day so i'm just throwing that out there <laughs> um, 
Um, listeners, I paid him for that comment, but yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about TV films a moment because you've had a couple of your books made into TV films. Mm-hmm. And I would yeah. love to see a TV series personally. Um, so I'm wondering which book of yours is on your dream list to be made? Ooh, what book of mine is on my dream list to be made? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, I, I'm partial to Touch and Go because I, I loved um, the, the concept of this family and their teenage daughter, you know, kidnapped out of their, you know, richy rich townhouse and stuck in an abandoned maximum security prison. Because let's face it, there's nothing more terrifying than being stuck in a cell with a teenager. But I think that just has more, uh, you know, visually like a film, and it's more identifiable to so many people. Um, I do think When You See Me would make a great, you know, that eerie gothic show where you don't trust your neighbors and, you know, every time you watch it, you're like, is this a drama? Is this horror? Is this adventure? What the hell is this? (laughs) I think it's a, you know, viewing experience. It's fun when you're not even sure what you're watching. (laughs) Yeah. But, but you, would you rather see like an ongoing TV series or just a one hit movie or just a one time shot movie? Boom. That's it. As someone who loves to read and watch things myself, I really love this whole, you know, streaming platform, whether it's Netflix, HBO, whatnot, because when they develop now these TV shows based on books, you're getting, you're getting the really in-depth approach. I mean, six 40-minute episodes or eight 40-minute episodes really is novel length. A feature film is only 30% of the book. So things like taking Karen Slaughter's pieces of her and having that be on Netflix, that's going to be really exciting. You're really going to get to see, you know, what she meant in the novel versus completely, completely abridged. Like, here's a highlight, and it involves some of the characters' names. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, but the one thing I'm not a big fan of is the I – I can't do a binge. I can't just sit and watch an entire series like in one weekend. I still like to watch like two, kind of let them sink in a little bit, and then come back a couple you know, days or so later and maybe watch another one. I, I just – I can't do the binge. It seems like it's just so much at one time. I'm just like, eh, overload. You know, I find that I start to get burnt out on shows if I watch too many episodes in a row because you yeah. start to see some of the continuity errors or it's like, wait a minute, two episodes, the character said that, and now it's this. You know what my new discovery is that you'll like, John, is I'm really getting into podcasts. You oh. know, listening to them around the house. Yeah. I mean, Bear Brook. Well, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the NPR's Bear Brook the amount of depth they can go into on, you know, the new police technology and cutting-edge genealogy that allowed, was used in the Bear Brooks case so that 30 years later they finally got a lead on one of the most notorious cold cases in New Hampshire. I mean, you can get real depth out of that kind of medium, whereas just like, you know, a special on 60 Minutes, you'd lose so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I do agree with that. Yeah. um, So, well, I was going to say, we get an in-depth talk with you on a podcast, so that's pretty cool also. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You have a short story that just came out 
the guy who died twice. I'm wondering if yeah. you could talk about that a bit. Plus, I also have to ask, is there a reason why all your short stories have numbers in the title? <laughs> yes and yes. So, ah, okay. The guy who died twice, or as I refer to him, the twice dead dude. <laughs> um, that works. Came from nonfiction. A lot of my work starts that way. And there's actually this great book. It was out from Random House. And I'm not going to get the author right. But it's basically talking about rare neurological conditions. And the guy who died twice is based on this rare condition where someone is definitely alive but is convinced they're dead to the point that nothing you can say will sway them from it. It has to do with some cross-wiring of the brain, that kind of stuff. But it, they would talk about people would actually, you know, turn to their spouse in the morning and be like, I'm dead. Sorry. Be like, uh, no, would you like some water? And they will even drink the water and then set it down and say, I'm dead. Sorry. And it just, stuff like that just strikes me. And then I was like, how fun would it be to have someone, like, walk into a police station and report to the police, like Dee Dee Warren, that, hey, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're someone like poor Dee Dee Warren, who's really an underpaid public servant, <laughs> what do you yeah. do with that? <laughs> <I mean. laughs> and then we were off and running. And yes, we've been putting numbers in all the titles to help tie them together or help readers kind of identify them more as the short stories versus the longer novel lengths. Okay, that, that makes sense. And uh, it also go. makes sense the guy isn't uh, pretending to be dead so he can just get out doing the dishes. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you're All you got to do about that, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, just break a couple, and then your wife would be like, all right, just stop doing the diss, and you're like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, that won't fly here. Um, yeah, so, Lisa, I, 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 have, I wanted your perspective on something. Uh, okay. What do you see as the current status of the book industry? And the reason I ask this is personally here in Seattle, my local Costco's book table has shrunk by, I would say, 70%. I think mine has, my too. local Barnes & Nobles have uh, closed. Uh, so yeah, what, the what? truth is, yeah. As, okay, so this is where, again, that whole 30 years in this industry thing is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I will be the first to say, from the time I sold my first novel, which was back in um, 89, to where we are now, the market has always been represented with a great deal of hysteria. I think for my entire career now, the midlist is collapsing. Nobody's reading. Romantic suspense is dead. Sci-fi is dead. The Western's dead. Thrillers are dead. And yet, somehow we keep plugging along. I think there are definitely micro-changes. There are accounts that come and go. There are mediums that come and go. But for all the stuff like Costco and Barnes & Noble are going under huge constrictions this year as a January book, let me tell you, I'm so sorry about that. But also, (laughs) audiobooks are growing. Um, Trade is growing. It's like, I think as long as we keep telling stories and as long as we are readers who want stories, I mean, the market is going to survive, but it is always going to change. Okay. Is anyone making better at night? Did that help at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the question is, do you sleep better at night? <laughs> you know, 
I still, when you get notes from readers saying how much your book's meant to them or how much they're looking forward to them, or when you go to a book tour, and I mean, forget my books. I sit around with my readers and I talk about other people's books. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Karen Slaughter and Lee Child and um, Tess Gerritsen, and these characters are so real to us. It's like, right. this is special and amazing, and I can't see that kind of love affair ever going away. 100% agree with you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the physical stuff, sure, I think is going down, but I think that you see that in retail and, and other places. It's just, it's just another place to go find them, but I don't think that they're actually going to go away. I do believe that the supply has kind of equaled or outlasted a little bit of the demand because there's just so much of it out there now where it used to be a little bit more controlled with publishers, you know, only – having print books because that's the only place you could find yeah. them. But now with eBooks, there's so much more demand out there. I think that readers are in the, are in the realm of this is great because I have so much to read, but now it's like sometimes with cable or whatever, now I have so much, I don't even know what to stream. And I think it's kind of the yeah. same way with books right now. Yeah. Yeah. The bright spots that I try to look at is what new technology do we not even know about that's going to happen in the next few years that's going to open up a medium. Because you right. know, ebooks you wouldn't have even thought of 20 years ago, and look at what a game changer they have been. Um, mm-hmm. Audiobooks were huge then down, now they're huge again. Um, there's bright things, you know, for all the gloom and doom. There's just there's the opportunities we just don't know yet, but you know, to look at the history of publishing will definitely happen because they always have. <laughs> and That's true. I'm looking right. forward to that. <laughs> I can't find that. <laughs> So, Lisa, so the best place for everyone to find out about all your information is your website, right, lisagardner.com? Absolutely, and I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yeah, you're going to do – how many events are you going to this year, do you think? Uh, Thriller Fest and a couple others, maybe Voucherkhan and um, – I don't know yet. I love Thriller Fest. It's my favorite conference, but I might end up in England instead, and I have doing some international work, albeit a – French book convention in Lyon. I mean, let's face it, these are the moments as an author, your life sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll miss seeing you, but I, we completely understand. We'll see. I don't have all the dates confirmed yet. If I can come to Thriller Fest, I definitely will. And VoucherCon is always amazing as well and a great time. I like you. Yeah, and I think, other crazy and I think this year... <laughs> And this year, I think VoucherCon is in California, right, Sacramento? Oh, that's right. Ah. Oh, and yeah. I have good yeah. family so there, on, so that will be fun. So it's on our coast, yeah. And then Love Coast Crime is in San Diego, so I think those are the three we're going to go to since we got two in California this year, which rarely ever happens. <laughs> so I'll be in San Diego in just a couple weeks with T. Jefferson Parker at Materia Galaxy. Yep, Galaxy's. January 30th. Yeah. Yeah, I oh, can't nice. wait, and I adore him. Jeff is one of my favorite novels, and I love yeah. his new PI trilogy. So it'll be fun. Yeah, and he's um the head, and he's like the keynote of uh, Love Coast Crime. So that's good. Oh, great! Yay! Yeah. Well, Lisa, you know it's always a pleasure, uh, of course, talking to you. When you see me is the latest book out January twenty eighth. In whatever format you buy books, you can get it at that time. You can pre order it now if you want to. But we want to thank you so much for coming on. It's always been a pleasure to talk with you, and we wish you nothing but the best. And can't wait to see you hopefully on the road at some of these conferences, and we can, you know, sit down, have a have a drink, have a meal, and and just talk <laughs> it out. 
Thank you, John and Jeff. Until this time next year. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You have a good one, Lisa. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.